Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Premed Year, session number 435. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you've doubted yourself in this journey to medical school, if you're an immigrant to this country and you have parents back home that are pushing you, to get into medical school faster and sooner, and you question whether or not this is something that you can do. Our guest today has been on that same journey and will hopefully motivate you to keep on going, just like this podcast motivated her several years ago. We're going to talk to Lydia, who is an immigrant from Nairobi, Kenya, who came to this country through a contest through an organization in Kenya and was able to pursue her higher education here in the States and this year realized her dream of getting an acceptance to medical school. Lydia, thanks for joining me on the pre-med years. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you? I am great. Or should I say, Jambo Habariako? Zuri Sana. Asante. Uh, I am so excited to talk with you and bring you on as a success student. Um, I I loved learning about your journey to medicine and getting that email that you'd been accepted was was, uh, the highlight of my month or year or wherever we are in this, this process. So congratulations. We'll, we'll lead off with congratulations on getting into medical school. Thank you so much. It's still sinking in that I've been accepted <laughs> to medical school. So thank you. Yes. So let's talk about, right? We, we kind of started with the ending. Let's mm-hmm. go back to the beginning. For someone who was raised in the slums on the outskirts of Nairobi, Kenya, How do you end up in the United States with an acceptance to medical school here in the United States? I trace my interest in medicine back to the Kibera slums in Nairobi. Um, And this was when I first got exposed to like patient, not really patient care, but to like people who are sick within the community. Let me put it that way, as plain and simple as I envisioned at the time. So um, it was during 
one of the church visits or youth visit that we went to reach out to community members to pray for them and to comfort them and tell them, you know, they'll be okay, just to let them know that somebody's there and cares for them. And these were particularly women and the youth who are suffering from the HIV and AIDS epidemic in Kenya at the time. And there was a lot of stigma surrounding HIV and anybody who took the antiretrovirals. So as a church community, we felt like we needed to remind the sick that people cared for them. So it is during those home visits or community visits that I got introduced to healthcare. And uh, the more we visited with the community members, the more I felt like I, I, I wanted to be there with them. And through that, my interest grew and I decided to start volunteering with a program called the Heritage Kenya Organization. In short form, it's called HECO. And HECO also ministers to people with HIV and AIDS. And uh, through HECO, I got the opportunity to go and volunteer at the Kenyatta National Hospital. It's a level five hospital in Nairobi, Kenya. And it is through my volunteering there that I also met patients who I would say inspired me or I, be, I think it's during my visit with them that I got the conviction that I, I want to be able to do something to be there for, for uh, patients like that. Particularly, I remember this 13-year-old female who was suffering from tuberculosis secondary to the HIV AIDS. And she was there in a very uh, weak state with chest tubes from the both sides of her chest and she was abandoned, no family was there. And I remember feeling like, oh, I wish I could do something to help her. And uh, because of a condition, I wanted to learn more to understand what was going on with her. And uh, so that was my initial introduction to like actually patient care within a clinical setting. And the good thing is through those visits, I also got to meet this doctor called Dr. Ochandambuya who happened to be also the physician who saved my life when my mom almost miscarried me. So that also in increased my interest about healthcare and medicine in general. Um, so, so let's talk about that, right? Because uh -huh. you don't have to grow up in the slums to, to be from a disadvantaged background, right? That's, that's one form uh -huh. of a disadvantaged background, uh, obviously uh -huh. being, being from Nairobi, Kenya and, and that situation, but we have, plenty of disadvantaged backgrounds and areas here in the United States. And uh -huh. I talk to a lot of students who are who are older, who are just coming back around to the idea of going to medical school, because when they grew up, the situation that they were in, they never thought that they could do it, or their situation precluded them from going and getting these experiences that you were able to get because they had to start working at a young age to support the family and, and everything else. Mm -hmm. Where did you get the confidence that this was something that you could go out and do? Because a lot of students are lacking that confidence. Mm -hmm. That's a very good question, Dr. Gray. And so I would say the confidence stemmed from my parents. So I grew up seeing them volunteering it in the community, helping, even sometimes giving out food that we, you know, sharing the very little food that we had. They spent a lot of time in the church and in the community, just um, extending a helping hand to members of our church and our community. So that's how my, my, I guess my confidence grew. And also I was actively involved in church and, and through the church, 
So it was like a culture. It's, it was a way of life for mm-hmm. me, my siblings, and my neighbors. Yeah. That's that's phenomenal. And, and kudos to your parents for instilling that confidence in you. Because unfortunately, again, a lot of students don't have that confidence until later on in life when they start to chase their dreams that they've uh, maybe pushed off to the side until later mm-hmm. in life. At what point did you realize that coming to the States was the best thing for you? I'm sure there are plenty of international students listening to this, thinking about coming to the States, or maybe they're already in the States. But what what brought you to the States to continue your educational journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So when I started high school, that was in 2007, that's when I started thinking about going to the university, what kind of university I would like to go to. Because in Kenya, we have this standardized exam that you do after your 12th grade, and that determines which university you go and what kind of major you pursue there. So it was during that time that I was beginning to learn more about the uh, different opportunities for higher education. Then I also got to even learn more about the education system in Kenya which I will put it out there is very good. However, I knew my parents would not afford to take me to a private institution. Mm. So that means I would end up in a government institution. And the one thing I did not like was the frequent strikes. Like in the news, I would read and watch like students of strikes, professors would. And so deep down, I knew I wouldn't want to pursue my education within the country. I just wanted to do it outside the country, not but not particularly in the U.S., but just in one of the developed countries, but Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it is true that that I started also to learn more about how, how can I go to, to a different country? Because again, my parents would not afford. And just from talking to people and just sharing my ambition and my interest, then my sister's friend <laughs> uh, learned about my interest and he told me of an organization called the Zawadi Africa Education Fund. And this is a leadership program that focuses on uh, getting opportunities for females who have overcome insurmountable odds to to achieve um, academic excellence. And so it helps to, it helps us to like apply to schools with different partnering institutions in Canada, in the US and in some countries in Africa as well. And so through Zawadi Africa, I was able to secure a full ride scholarship to run a college. And it was a very competitive process because even for me to be accepted into Zawadi, I had to compete against a thousand uh, girls to be wow. narrowed down to a hundred. Yeah. And out of the hundred, only 60 of us got opportunities to travel abroad. So it's something that humbles me and I'm proud of at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> you should be. That's that's phenomenal. What was Thank it like? You getting that phone call or email or letter or whatever it was telling you that you had this opportunity to come to the States? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually smiling because it's a funny story. So when I got the phone call, I had already actually started attending a university in Kenya. I was posted to pursue electrical and communication engineering. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and anyway, God saved me. I will say that. But um, so I remember I was in school. And I received this phone call from Zawadi Africa and her name is Lydia. And she called me and told me, Lydia, you've been accepted to run a college. And I was like, wait, what? What? 
what? She said, you've been accepted to Rano College. I was like, I did not apply to that school. <laughs> and she was like, what? I helped you apply to that school. And then, oh, quickly, my, my mind ran and I was like, okay, I guess I was mispronouncing the school. <laughs> I used to call it Roanoke. Exactly yeah. as it's written, that's how I would pronounce it. So when she said Roanoke, I didn't understand. But anyway, so once I remembered <laughs> the school that I applied to, I was so happy. I cried, actually. I really cried because I knew at that point then my life would turn around completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At what point did the the realism kick in that you're you're in the States, new culture, luckily not a new language, because English is is a, a predominant language in Kenya. Uh, mm-hmm. as as I as I learned traveling there when I was 18, which was makes makes traveling much easier when everyone speaks English. Um, yes. <laughs> What was it like, though? It's a brand new country, brand new culture, uh, obviously a, a little bit of a different educational system as well. What was uh-huh. that learning curve for you coming to the States? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before I even answer that, Dr. Gray, let me tell you, the truth is sometimes even until today, almost nine years later, sometimes I look around and I, I have to pinch myself and tell me, okay, Lydia, you are here, which is very interesting. But anyway, if I go back to 2012, when I moved here, I will say the Rono College community was amazing. Everybody was so nice. The professors were very supportive. The staff members were very good. So that helped with my transition. Mm. However, it was still very challenging. Like you said, English is predominantly like the official language in Kenya. And I I was confident and I knew I could speak English. But something funny when I got here, (laughs) anytime I opened my mouth, I had to repeat myself over and over because I guess my accent was too thick and people could not understand me very well, which I took it positively. But it was still very challenging because sometimes you feel like, you know, (laughs) you can feel inadequate just a little bit. So that was tough. And also, of course finances you know even if I had a full ride scholarship I still had personal things to take care of and um, I was still new I couldn't be allowed to work more than 20 hours a week and so yeah finance finances were challenging I didn't drive the language was challenging as well but uh, I mean I went to boarding school when I was younger so I was already used to being alone and figuring out things on my own so I can say that helped as well and yeah. just taking things one day at a time, yeah, and staying focused. And when you when you came to Roanoke, were you pre med from the get go? You were like, okay, here's this is the start of my my journey to medical school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the back of my mind, I knew eventually I'm going to pursue medicine. However, say unfortunately, when we were being prepared to transition from Kenya to the U.S., I remember one of the lady telling us, if you're thinking of pursuing medicine in the U.S please don't. You either stay in Kenya or you just kill that dream because it's going to be very, very challenging to go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> such positivity right off the bat. I know. And, and I remember feeling discouraged. So, But it's funny because deep down, I knew I, I, I had the feeling one day I will make it. But so also I was like, okay, because, okay, this was different. In Kenya, you pursue medicine as an undergraduate, not yeah. a graduate uh, degree. Yeah. So that's, that's most, that's most countries besides the U S right. Most it's like straight from high school, you go into some six or seven year program for medical education. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I said, okay, if it's a graduate program, then I can use the undergraduate to learn more about 
then so about the environment or environmental conditions because like you mentioned i grew up in the slums the environmental conditions there are terrible and they are they are actually the major driving factor of poor health within the slums because right there there's lack of basic sanitation and even hygiene mm-hmm. so i was very interested to learn more to get a better understanding of like how how things work together to to lead to such circumstances and having traveled and comparing the different environments like how, what can we do differently to improve the environment back home so i pursued a major in environmental studies and then a major in biology because most of my pre med prerequisites were leading to a biology degree so i decided to pursue the both of them what was the hardest thing for you during your undergrad years the hardest thing during my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I would say it's just hmm, trying to think. <laughs> Dr. Gray, finances come up, number one, because it yep. was challenging to me. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I was pursuing the two majors with a minor in chemistry. I had to work. And then I also had... Um, to pursue research. So I was, I barely had, I did not enjoy undergraduate as much as I would say many people did. I would say that. So yeah, but overall, I can tell you Dr. Gray, and I'm happy to say this, my experience at Toronto College is one of my most meaningful experiences because I took advantage of opportunities that are presented there to me. And uh, yeah. So it's very hard to pinpoint a particular thing that I struggled with or I cannot remember right now. Were there any moments in your undergraduate journey where you either got feedback that you couldn't or shouldn't go to medical school or that you personally were doubting your ability to go to medical school? Well, that was up until my junior year of college when I actually I did apply to medical school for the first time. and. at the time, I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but looking back, I really had no idea because nobody in my family is in the medical field. I don't think, looking back, I don't think I understood the gravity of what it takes to get into medical school, despite the fact that I had been warned earlier before coming to the U.S. So my experience at that time, like, opened my eyes or... I don't know, because, you know, I was I was performing well in school all along throughout the almost all the four years of college, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it is. it was at that time that I I took a pause and I was like, wait, it, like it was kind of a blow to me. That's why I think it's important when they say teach your children how to fail. Yeah. So, yeah. So for me, not getting into medical school at the time, actually first to begin with, not even getting a good MCAT score at the time was like a big blow to me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you feel like your MCAT score was probably the biggest reason why you didn't get into medical school the first time? I would say both the MCAT score and also my essays. I don't think I did a good job at telling my story because I was so focused on selling myself. It was like I was reciting my resume in paragraphs. Okay. Okay. And did yeah. you did you get any feedback about those or are you just going through it the second time <laughs> learning learning a different way to do it? You can reflect back on that. 
it's mostly reflecting back because all the schools, I only applied to five schools. Okay. <laughs> so all the schools that I applied to at the, at the time did not offer any feedback. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I wish, is, I wish schools had more bandwidth to do that, but I I understand they're, they're busy people, unfortunately. Uh-huh. So you, you go through the first application cycle. Your, uh-huh. your MCAT isn't great. Um, your essays potentially weren't that great. What did you uh-huh. do from that point forward? You're, you're a, an international student, right? Coming, uh-huh. coming from the States. Um, what was your, your residency status at that point? Were you, were you applying as an international student at that point or did you get your residency? Yeah. At the point I was an international student with an F1 visa. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So that might actually have contributed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. definitely definitely makes things a little bit harder. So mm-hmm. you you're at a, a situation, especially being on a visa, which is why I asked that question, where mm-hmm. you're you're done with school, right? mm-hmm. you don't have kind of school prospects in the future. The mm-hmm. the thought potentially goes, well, I have to go back home, right? I have to go back to Kenya. I can't stay in the country anymore because I'm not in education. What what was that thought process like for you on what to do next? Mm-hmm. Well, the good thing is. If you're here on an F1 student visa, you're allowed up to two years of kind of internship. Mm. Like you're allowed to work only for an employer or or you're allowed to do a job that is directly related to your major. So at least that gave me some hope that even after I graduate from college, I can still work as I figure myself out and what to do next. And I knew I was going to reapply to medical school. Okay. Right. Yeah, so if I go back to 2016, so when I got all the rejections back and I was about to graduate, so I was happy on one hand, I had secured a job. And then at the same time, uh, we had a military, uh, army recruiter come to campus and he told us about the military. And um, he also told us that, you know, through the military, you can get naturalized mm-hmm. <laughs> and become a u.s citizen yeah so <laughs> that that, <laughs> that sounded that good <laughs> yeah. well let, let, let's pause there for a second what okay. what was the desire to 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 become a citizen to stay in the states obviously i'm, I'm assuming your family's still in kenya why mm-hmm. why did you want to stay at that point yeah, honestly, like, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, I wanted to pursue my higher education here. And I felt like I still had not accomplished what brought me here. Mm-hmm. Even though I was done with my, I was about to get done with my undergraduate and to graduate strong, really. Let me just mention, you know, I was going to graduate from the honors program with honors in two different majors with just lots of accomplishments. I still felt like I had not accomplished what brought me here. And at the same time, yes, my family is still in Kenya, but for some reason, I always feel like I am indebted to Roanoke and to the U.S. Because as I mentioned earlier, I said my experience at Roanoke College is one of my most meaningful experiences so far. So for some reason, even until today, I always feel like I need to give back. So at the time when the army recruiter came and he talked about the military and how you can serve in different ways and also like you can get citizenship, I did not even think twice. I just felt convicted to to sign up and then listen to the U.S. Army. Sign me up. What was that mm-hmm. process like? Because a lot of students do something similar, whether they're just trying to pay the bills or they're looking for some GI Bill benefits for education. 
um, and not necessarily looking for the citizenship. What was that process like talking to kind of your commanders about you wanting to apply to medical school and what that may look like? Yeah. So, you know, to them, that was definitely a selling point Mm -hmm. because they talked about the health scholarship scholarship Mm -hmm. program, like how you can go to medical school, they pay everything and in return you work for the military. Um, So they used that to kind of encourage me to enlist. With the recruiting commander, again, I think either I was lucky or because I believe in God, maybe he was with me. <laughs> so my commander was also very good. He was patient and understanding because at the, at the time too, when I was enlisting into the military, I did not drive either. I didn't even have a driver's license at that time. So he used to mm-hmm. come to campus and take me to places that I needed to go, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um that recruiter's uh, trying knew, to meet his quota or her quota. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So it was a win-win, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was not scared about the, you know, the physical test because in college yeah. I used to work out and try to keep fit. So that did not discourage me. The only thing that I remember sharing with my mentors on campus and one of them was skeptical. You know, he was like, Lydia, are you sure? Because, you know, yeah. So that, that, that was a little bit questionable, but I, you know, I thought about it and being in the military is not really new. My grandfather served in the military in Kenya in the World War II. And then my mom also was enrolled into the equivalence of national, it's called National Youth Service. It's kind of the equivalence of National Guard in the U.S. So also the idea of serving in the military was not entirely new to me as well. So that made it easy, I would say. Okay. Very good. Uh-huh. So you you finally you get you get to a point you rejected your first application cycle. You uh-huh. are are kind of on this journey looking at joining the reserves to get your citizenship. At what point were you convinced that you were ready to apply to medical school again? Mm-hmm. So just to give context, so when I first applied, it was in 2015, graduated in 2016. I also joined the military in 2016. So in 2018, I my my paperwork was squared away and um I felt like it was time. <laughs> so I I I just felt it. I and then I decided to just, you know, open an application, write my essays. This time around, I used friends and families to help me edit my essays. Mm-hmm. And um can I can I go ahead? I feel like you will have questions to ask because it's about the the quality of my essays and what I learned from it. So can I just go ahead and talk about yeah, it? Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So at the time I used families and friends to help me edit my essays and I used a lot of people. <laughs> so I, I had like three friends who were in medical school review my essays and then my sister and my brother-in-law. So the reason why I'm saying that it's because later, once I started like re- looking back and analyzing my essay, I realized it's something Dr. Gray you specifically call a village essay or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, I and got I, I got so that many. from the the director of admissions at at NYU. 
Um, he, mm-hmm. he specifically stated that's Dr. Rafael Rivera. Um, mm-hmm. when I was writing my personal statement book, I asked him for mm-hmm. a quote on the, the value of a personal statement. He, he's like, we don't like personal mm-hmm. statements here. They, they're more like personal statements because students get too much advice on what to put in a personal statement. It's not really their essay anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So like for me, I tried as much as possible to stick to my story, but you know, I got so much feedback and honestly, at some point I remember feeling so confused and also like just overstressing myself because you write an essay, you feel like you've written it so well, and then you give somebody else to read and they're like, no, how about you say it this way? How about you talk (laughs) about this? You know? Yeah. And yeah. So looking back, I wouldn't have done that. So anyway, so in 2018, I do that. Again, I retake the MCAT. So my initial MCAT score in 2015 was a 495. Okay. So I, I retake the MCAT in 2018. I get a 498. <laughs> and uh, I still go ahead and submit my application yep. <laughs> with a village essay. So as you can tell the ending, it wasn't good. I was not accepted to any school. I did not get an interview to any school. And I applied to 16 schools. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> from five schools to 16 schools, mm-hmm. we, and were you a citizen at that point? Or no? Not yet. Not yet. Not okay. yet. So still yeah. potentially residency status impacting a little bit. Mm-hmm. So again, at that point, a lot of students will go, I guess this isn't what is in my destiny. I give mm-hmm. up. Why didn't you give mm-hmm. up? I... Good question. I did not give up. Well, I almost did. I almost did, but I also, I didn't at the same time. It's like I was getting discouraged. I remember watching people's videos on YouTube. Oh, I got accepted. And I used to be so happy for them and cry at the same time. Because it's like, why not me? I really stressed myself at the time, which was not really good. And I decided to take a break and go to Kenya. So I just, (laughs) I worked, saved money, paid an air ticket and go to Kenya just to get that break and be with my parents. And I remember when I got back from the airport and I was driving back home, I don't know how I came across your podcast, (laughs) Dr. Green. And on that podcast, you were talking about, what exactly? Oh, and, and on that podcast, you're talking about like, so it was around December. Right. And okay, I'm confusing myself. And I remember at that time on your podcast, you were talking about not giving up. You had featured one of the accepted students Mm -hmm. and they shared their story. I think they were reapplicants as well. I just, I cannot remember the specific details, but I remember like feeling as if I can relate to her story. And just by listening to you interviewing that person, then I got hope. I was like, okay this cycle is probably not going to work because I was yet to hear from schools, but it was a little bit later in the cycle. So I told myself, it's not going to work. I'll just do it again later, you know, as I, cause so I, I felt like I got a new resource through the podcast. And every time I drove, anytime I was home cleaning, I would listen to every single podcast that I had not listened to before that time. And, you know, just, Pretty much, I went through your entire resources, really, the ones that I had access to at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what? And you just were like, okay, I can do this. I don't care that it, it took twice, and it, if it takes two more times, this is what I want to do? 
because Dr. Gray said so? Oh, no, not really, actually. That's a good question, and I'm glad you asked. Because in the meantime, too, uh, if you remember, I said I majored in environmental studies as well. I was like, okay, because I love this and I did well in college. Let me do an internship and see. Maybe I will be best suited in, in that field and not medicine, you know? And I did an internship there. I did not like it. And at the same time, I was, I was also working as a scribe in the emergency department. So it's like anytime I went to work, which I had a perfect schedule, eight to five, I was free over the weekend. They paid me well. But I, and, and in the ER, I used to work part time. So it was so interesting because anytime I'm in the ER, I felt like I belonged there. But anytime I went to work with an environmental job, I just felt out of place, (laughs) completely out of place. Yeah. And so even in the meantime, I continued volunteering and shadowing physicians. So it was not just your podcast uh, that, you know, your podcast served to remind me or to encourage me, Lydia, you can still do this despite the difficulties because you're not the only one. You know, I learned how many people apply multiple times Mm -hmm. and they still get in eventually if you persist that. So that's what your podcast did to me, just to encourage me that you can still do it. And my life experiences made me realize that, I don't know, (laughs) you know, I still don't know how it's like to be a physician, but just through my experience, I felt like I I know what I want to do. It's like, I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. You're constantly reminded that that this is the right journey for you and and you'll figure out how to get there. So mm-hmm. 495, 498, mm-hmm. did you take the MCAT again? Oh yeah. yeah. How did that go? <laughs> that same cycle, 2018. Sorry, I'm all over the place. But before going to Kenya, I had actually retaken the MCAT. And I scored a 491. So my scores went down by seven points. Because I rushed it. I took it a month after I got my previous scores. So I didn't give myself enough time to prepare. And I was also taking it with a lot of stress and putting a lot of pressure on myself as well. Yeah. Because I was like, I I don't want to be late. I want to get it in. And it's like deep down inside, I kind of knew maybe it's not the best choice, but on the outside... (laughs) Humans, my- <laughs> humans are very good at, at doing things that we know deep down inside. We're like, this is probably not smart, but hey, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, yeah, it's like I had the feeling maybe it's not the right thing to do. But on the outside, this is why it's good to get somebody neutral to help you. Because on the outside, my siblings, my parents, they don't really understand the process, but they believe yeah. in me. I'm their child. So everybody was like, you can do it. You can do it. So do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you would have talked to me, I would have said, heck no, don't do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so I remember after I came back from Kenya, I listened to your podcast, went through your uh, materials or resources for pre-med. I sent an email to you and I told you like a brief story about me and yep. my journey to medical school. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was the beginning of the end. And, and then you mm-hmm. you go on this journey with me um, mm-hmm. and you learn how to write your essays more appropriately, <laughs> right? And, and it's, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not to say that my way is the only way, but it's a way that I think um, really tells a story. And, and compared to your original essays, you, you think, right, just night and day? Yes, you know, it's interesting, Dr. Gray, because 
when I was in undergraduate, I was actually being paid to teach people how to write essays. You know, the school. <laughs> yeah, because my essays, I will tell you, they were good. I used to score 100 of 100 in all my general education classes in yep. my essays. Yeah. But then I guess it just takes a different way of thinking or of telling your story to 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 say it well for other people to understand. And that, I think, is what you helped me with. Yeah. And it's very yeah. different to write an essay about a topic versus writing an essay about yourself. And so it's a very, very different thing. So um, mm-hmm. talk about this this application cycle. Um, you you go from the 495 to 498 to 491. Did you take the MCAT again four times? I did. Okay. <laughs> All right. And and what did you do differently to improve? Well, I I studied for it longer okay. than the previous one. So, yeah, I spent I think about 4 months studying for the MCAT and I I took it in January of 2020. Okay. Yeah, so my scores came back in February. I still did not do as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I scored a 499. <laughs> so close. So close to that 500. We want everyone to at least be at. Uh, yes. But you decided to push forward, to, to move forward. I did. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, during this application cycle, it, it mm-hmm. wasn't looking great. What, mm-hmm. what was your thought process as we were going through the application cycle, applying to schools, not hearing a ton of information, having a few interviews here and there? What was it like? This is your third application cycle, your fourth MCAT. It's like through, through your mind, I'm, I'm assuming the, the discussion that you're having with yourself is like, what else can I do? Like, I, I don't know what mm-hmm. else I can do. Um, what was that like for you? The, the whole waiting game. Mm-hmm. You're right. I had many moments when I'll just sit down and ask, what else can I do? Because I never doubted that I want to practice medicine, especially again, with all the experiences that I continued to have working at a cancer center, interacting with patients and different physicians. Again, I knew that's where I wanted to be. But I kept on asking myself, so what can I do differently? Dr. Gray, you helped me with my application, like crafting my essays um, and my extracurricular activities. And of course, there was corona, a lot of confusion, uh, feeling confused. And we had our monthly calls, which I, w- I will say helped a lot because then would th- I would ask you questions, we would have a discussion and that would like, you know, give me insights into maybe the things I need to do or how I can like write differently or apply to other schools. So that helped. Um, and towards the end, I remember we were even thinking, we, start, we had a discussion, if it doesn't work out, then what do I do? Do I go into a post back program or do I retake the MCAT? You know, those kinds of things. So to me, when I got the first interview invitation, I was very, very happy and humbled. It's funny because I always imagined myself, like when I get that email, I would jump and be extra happy. But for some reason, I just felt humbled 
it's like, oh, I actually got an interview invitation to medical school. So it was a big deal. And I quickly sent an email to you <laughs> so we can celebrate. <laughs> celebrate. Compare getting that email or phone call, the, the communication that you got into medical school with mm-hmm. the the communication that you got about coming to the States. Were they similar kind of joy, different kind of joy? What was that like? This was different. I will say that. Why? <laughs> um, I guess maybe because of the struggles that I had and also maybe because I was, oh, I was getting to a point where I was already thinking of now retaking the MCAT and probably finding money to pay a tutor. So I was already thinking that I'm going to retake the MCAT, reapply to medical school. So I guess just getting that email and with an interview invitation, I guess that's why I was overjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compared to when I got the news that I'm coming to Kenya. Yes, I had worked hard. I had, you know, worked extra hard and the transition process was not easy, but I still feel like getting this uh, medical school interview invitation was like, because I know it's it's what I'm going, it's what I've been working towards for a long time. Yeah. And at least now it gave me like some light towards the end of the tunnel or hope that I can still do what I feel like I am called to do. Yeah. Uh Well, I am super excited for you to start medical school and realize this dream that started a long time ago, far, far Mm -hmm. away (laughs) on the outskirts (laughs) of Nairobi uh, or in Uh Nairobi. Um, What, what does the future hold for you? What do you think you're interested in pursuing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, go to medical school. I am open because I know my mind can change with more exposure and learning more about medicine. But as of now, I am thinking about pursuing emergency medicine because I spent almost three years working as a scribe in the ER. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I, I used to envision myself doing the kind of job that the attending physicians would do. So that's where I'm leaning more towards. And also because I feel like my interest is broad and the ER will provide me with that opportunity to handle different cases. But outside of that, I see myself, regardless of the speciality where I'll be practicing, I can see myself doing mission medicine, both locally and globally in different parts of the world in underserved communities. Because I that is what... It is my interaction with people who live in a very underserved area that sparked my interest in medicine and continued to med- motivate me to pursue medicine. And so that is also what I'd like to do as a physician. Yeah. All right. One, mm-hmm. one more question that I know a lot of students have, especially for you being a, a three-time applicant, a four-time MCAT test taker. A lot mm-hmm. of students fear being a reapplicant. They fear needing to retake the MCAT. How much did that come up in any of your interviews that you had to take the MCAT multiple times, that you had that big dip going back to a 491, that you had to apply multiple times? Did that come up in your interviews? Just once, really. And it was like passive. We didn't even spend much time on it. My interviewer asked, so Lydia, you know, she was expressing how much she's impressed and, and all that. But she asked me, so I see you've taken the MCAT multiple times. If the admissions committee was to ask me, 
about this? What should I tell them? Mm -hmm. So that's the only time I was asked that question. All the other interviews, the MCAT did not come up <laughs> at all for being an applicant. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I think there's there's a lot of unfounded fear uh, around these these kind of I, needing to take the MCAT multiple times, needing to apply multiple times. And at the end of the day, if you get that interview, the schools the schools understand that this is a long, hard journey for a lot of students, and, and especially being an immigrant to this country. Um, again, English English is kind of on the side burner, which is unusual for a lot of immigrants. But uh, you're mm -hmm. you're lucky that Kenya speaks English as a as a, a national language as well. Um, Kenya has mm -hmm. lots of national languages, which is awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm again, I'm super excited that you are are on this journey that you are in medical school. So congratulations to you. And thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough. And for anybody who's listening, keep on, keep on keeping on <laughs> and reach out for help like I did, Dr. Gray. I will always be thankful that I reached out to you. So thank you. Well, there you have it. Again, Lydia sharing her story to getting into medical school. Hopefully it has encouraged you, motivated you that if this is what you want, no matter if it takes three application cycles, four MCATs, this is what you want to do, then do it. I want to jump into the MCAT Minute sponsored by Blueprint MCAT. If this is your first time listening to this podcast or my podcast in general, and you don't know who Blueprint is, well, maybe you've heard of Next Step Test Prep. That Blueprint is the new name for Next Step Test Prep. They changed their name a couple of years ago, but they are still the same great test prep company with a shiny new name and still the best resources available for pre-med students looking to study for the MCAT. But I want to talk about if if you know that you need to take the MCAT this cycle and you need to take it a little bit later, you can. If you need to take the MCAT in June because that's going to be the best time for you, you can do that. Uh, actually, as I'm recording this just last night, I did a webinar with Blueprint, and it's a very common question of, I need to take the MCAT at the end of June. Can I still apply this cycle? The answer is yes. Ideally, you still apply before the MCAT, but if you need to wait to apply, that will hurt. Uh, but if you need to wait, you, you potentially still could. But if you need to take the MCAT a little bit later, apply before you take the MCAT to one school so that you can submit your application. And that way, when you get your MCAT score back, you can add more schools to your list, submit those secondaries as soon as possible. And it, it's just like nothing ever happened, just like you took an MCAT early. So if you need to take it later, at the end of the day, the answer is take the MCAT when you're ready. Uh, just understand that a later MCAT potentially will hurt you if you are also applying late as well. So that's a, a big caveat there. If you want some amazing free MCAT resources first, go check out the MCAT podcast that I do with Blueprint. And go check out and sign up for a free account over at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. You'll get free access to their half-length diagnostic, their full-length one, as well as an amazing study planner. Again, go check them out at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT.
This is MedEd Media.